turned off the big HVAC thing. I had a reminder on my wonderful Samsung device that reminded me about that. Samsungs are great. So, good evening. Good to see everyone. And um, I just got to say what a blessed time it was last week when we were able to gather for the Israel teachings. And it was truly a reminder of just the Holy Spirit and God's faithfulness in how everything went, because it wasn't as though the three of us sat down to meticulously map out, I'm going to do this reference, and you do this one, and you do this, but the way that the Lord just lined it all up was just such a testimony to his faithfulness. So praise him for that, and encouraging us all to continue to pray for the region, Um, pray for salvation, pray for people that do not know King Jesus to come to know him and to also be in prayer for the Iranian church as we got to hear what's going on there and with Afghan, it's coming to faith. Just really commit these things to prayer. And as Christmas gets closer and closer and closer as we go, Jesus' birthday party's coming up um, in our house. Let's just please remind and, and get everybody focused on truly what this is all about. It's about Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. For this time, Lord, thank you that we, we get the gift, Lord, each week, multiple times, Lord, whenever we want to get in your word, but we get the gift each Wednesday night to come together as people who love you and to open your word, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you illuminate your word to us new each time as you do, Heavenly Father, and help us to just see what you need us to see for the season of life that we're in, Lord for what you have us doing for your glory, Heavenly Father, that we can be better equipped to serve you and to glorify you, Lord God. Thank you for this time. Thank you for preserving your word for us, Lord. And thank you for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for salvation. We love you, Lord, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. So two weeks ago, we got to start Psalm 22, and we got through the first five verses. We're going to do a little bit more tonight. We'll see how far we get, and then we'll keep going on. Just going to put it out there. We're going through. Um, And again, the title for this is A Journey Foretold Suffering. And as we think about Psalm 22, again, reminders, it's a lament psalm, it's a messianic psalm, it's a psalm that ever so clearly points to King Jesus, ever so clearly points to the Messiah King who suffers, and suffers for you, suffered for me, that we can have relationship with him. And it points so much, the psalm, as we go through, knowing that David's the author, there must have been a deep season of despair for him. But we also know, as we looked at the intro to this psalm, David is a prophet. And the Lord using him to give this prophecy of King Jesus to come. And last time we gathered through psalms, we walked through all four gospel accounts of our Messiah's sacrifice. We went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And it was a deep dive, but I encourage you, Do it again and and add that as part of your preparing your heart for Christmas. Because I think sometimes we think about the cross so well when Resurrection Sunday is coming, but we're called to think of it daily. And I think when we think of Christmas, when we think of our Savior coming veiled in the flesh, we need to remember he was born to die. And, and, And ponder that and meditate on that and chew on that. And in this season, reminding ourselves the whole purpose of his birth. Now, as we walked through the five verses, we did have some charges as usual, and to check in on that. One, 
Is there any area in your life that you feel forsaken or abandoned by God? Did you take time to go through that? Did you take time to figure out areas or things that you're praying on where you feel, why God? And go to him in prayer. Go to him in conversation. Because far too often, when we can feel those feelings, we try to look to other things. We try to go to other places. Go to the cross. Go to King Jesus. When the suffering, when everything feels like it's crowding in, this just happened, now this just happened, now this just happened. Really, why, Lord? Then keep that why and talk to him. Commune with him. Don't put it somewhere else. So how are we doing with that? And two, who do you need to remind to pray? Did you take time and say, Lord, is there anybody in my life? I've now checked myself, but is there anybody in my life who's forgotten you, Lord? Who's saying, God's abandoned me, or there is no God, or, or God's fake, or why God? And for you to be the bridge to go to them and say, hey, can I pray with you? Can we go to King Jesus? Can we go to the one who hears our prayers and is faithful to have his will be done? And the third piece of the charge, pray more and pray more earnestly. How is your prayer life? What is it looking like? Last night we had a sweet time with the men of worship and prayer. And it was just such a gift to get to be with brothers in the Lord. Pastor David playing guitar, song singing, and praying to our King. It was such a gift. And when we come together as a body of believers, it's a gift to do that. And remember, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. Go to him. Go to him in prayer. A verse that I want to remind us of with prayer is Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. And we looked at this last night, men. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Cherish that. Realize that. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, his throne that is a gift that we do nothing to earn access to, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And as we go through Psalm 22, we're going to be reminded, saints, of how we have access to that. And that access came from the ultimate portrait of suffering. Now, when we think about suffering, I want to share a few quotes. And two of these are actual quotes from journals from when I was a school administrator and I would jot down when I would do meetings or counseling with kids quotes. And two are that and one's from social media. It just feels like they're all attacking me and going to eat me alive. I really can't do this anymore. I just want to die. They'd be mocking me all the time. I'm done, bro. See how they laugh when I'm dead. I don't matter at all. No one would even care. There's no hope. Then we think about depression. It's cited right now by different sources as the second most prevalent illness in the U.S. today. Depression. Gallup report shows that depression in adults has reached 29% of adults in the U.S., up nearly 10% from 2015. 
Rates are drastically increasing, particularly among youth being 20 or younger. Globally, four in 10 adults, and by their classification, we're talking ages 15 or older, four in 10 have significant depression or anxiety or have a family member that's suffering from those things. Now, I'm never going to say that those feelings, those things that happen, mental health things, I'm never going to say they're not real. Just open your Bible and they'll go away. But I will say I do believe that as we continue to push God out, as we continue to push biblical truth out, as we continue to push hope out, we shouldn't be so surprised at the statistics that we're seeing. People feel hopeless, people feel ready to take their lives, and they forget the one who took it all, who took all those feelings so that we can have hope. I look at it that we have a society that's a hopeless suffering society that's forgetting the hopeful suffering Savior, servant, Jesus. And in the midst of that, I want us to Realize despair and death, these ideas, it permeates our society today. And when you look at the text that we're looking at, there's, there's a few verses within it where you could think of someone in our culture saying it. All those, this is verse 7, who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lips. They shake their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 13, they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart's like wax. It is melted within me. These deep feelings of despair. I remember one of the students when I was on suicide watch at the boarding school, I'm looking for him, finally found him in the woods, and I'm like, what are you doing? What's going on? That would, my question would always be, what's going on? And he's like, my body's melting. I'm dying. I said, why? What is going on? No one cares about me. I'm miserable. My body's melting. There's no hope. I just want to die. And these things just continue this notion of hopelessness to permeate our culture. And within that we forget, again, that there is one ultimate hope. But instead of remembering the hope, we see people turning to pills, we see people turning to therapy, we see people turning to sex, to drugs, all these things. And I'm never going to say there's some times where medication might be needed to help someone. There's some times where having counseling and doing that is useful. But my question with it all, are you putting God in the equation first? You've got to start with the king. And we have many people who can feel forsaken and lost. We looked at that. And we have to remember, Jesus isn't a genie. Jesus wasn't just some cool, good dude. He's king of the world. And this Christmas season, I really want us to meditate and ponder, do we realize the freedom that his birth truly gives us? Because there's suffering, and everybody here probably has something that you could relate that feels like suffering right now, that feels like trial. Only God knows the depth of pain or suffering that you're going through, yet there's only one who can truly relate. God, the high priest, Jesus, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And we're going to be reminded tonight of one who from our conception had a divine plan and has a divine plan for our lives. There's only one hope to go through. There's going to be the reminder. There's only one that enables us to say, it is finished. We're going to be reminded that there's only one who can truly help hopelessness despair, Jesus. 
So let's dig into our text. And I'm going to read the first five verses just to refresh us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And there's a theme that we see in those five verses already twice, trusting, that trust that's needed. But we see the cry out, the agony of this. And as David does, right away, the looking to the faithfulness of God. And we talked about that last time. And now we go on, verse 6. But I am a worm... And no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So we see the rejection that David as the author is feeling here. And there's a prophetical rejection that's being pointed to our King, our Messiah. Christ being mocked. Christ being despised. So we see here, but I am a worm. Now that I am, I think as we're in the Gospel of John, I can't help but think of all of the I am's that we're going to see in the Gospel of John. Because who he is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. But here we say, but I am a worm. It's almost the forgotten I am that our Savior empathizes with and experiences in the moment that he's on the cross. That moment where he has that forsaken moment where he's separated from the intimacy that he's had pre-existently with God the Father. He is that worm, helpless, worthless. The worm being weakest creature if you think about it. Not much that worm can do. And no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. This is the psalmist seeing, David seeing the disgrace that he feels. David feels ignored, insignificant, low standing in people's eyes. And guess what we see when we looked at Philippians 2? That humble servant. That's what our Savior came in. As that bond servant. Then verse 7. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. His pain, his suffering is being used as an excuse to ridicule, to mock, and to attack on him. The pain that he goes through. And that's what the psalmist is expressing there. That's our King Messiah. As he's carrying the cross, as he's being ridiculed by the guards, think of all of the gospel accounts we went through. It's the pain that he's in that then is twisted and turned to do, where's your God now? And we see, they take, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Now something when we look at that, that we have to ask ourselves, are you one that in trials, people know you as someone who trusts in the Lord? Because don't miss that, it's noted here, he trusted in the Lord. Are you someone when the trial comes, when the suffering comes, would people say, oh Johnny, he trusted in the Lord, but what's God doing now? And we have to understand when we're in suffering as believers, there's going to be times where someone may say, where's your God? Where's this God that you trust in so much? Why are you going through this? Why are you suffering? If God is real, why would a Christian ever suffer? 
What kind of God is that? But we're reminded, one, it's his will be done. He's sovereign. James 1 reminds us when you fall into various trials. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardships. And two, we have to remember the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So for the believer, there's a supernatural power from him when that suffering comes. If we're yielded to him, if we're seeking him, if we're running to him, and then beyond that at salvation, guess what we have? Eternal freedom. In eternity, when we're with our king of kings, whatever suffering we went through here, it's going to be so insignificant. So my question to the one who will say, you know, well, there's the suffering, the suffering. Is eternity enough? And then think about how long eternity is. But again, for him, in this moment, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. That's where they come through. How do we build that our reputation is of trust? What did we see in John 4? Worship in what? Spirit and truth. How do we worship in spirit and truth? Romans 12. Be that living sacrifice. Be yielded to him and don't conform to the world. Be renewed. How? The word of God. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Turn to Matthew 27. When we look at Matthew 27, verses 39 to 44, I'm going to read. We looked at this a few weeks when we did the introduction. This is Matthew 27. But I just want us to see that reality of the ridicule. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and built it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. Because his pain and suffering right now, on the surface to the eye of the human, he's vulnerable. We got him now. But they don't know what we know. They don't got him. It's the door of access for all of us. And they continue. Likewise, the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. And there it is again. We've talked about it in John. Show us, then we'll believe. That's not how it works. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. So this is what comes to him. And it's foretold so clearly in this psalm. And we see it happen. And Jesus warns us. If you turn to John 15, he gives the warning to the disciples, which applies to us. Hatred's going to come. You're going to be hated. People aren't going to like you. People are going to oppose you. Because guess what? People oppose Jesus when he's on earth. You don't think they're going to oppose the people that then stand for him? We read there in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of this world, the world would love its own. Yet, because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And if we see this journey of that rejection of the persecution, it always goes back to the reality of the duality. You're either all in for God or you're on the other side. There's no, we can trick ourselves to say there's a gray line. There isn't. And in this we see 
they came for me, they're going to come for you. That's going to happen. There's going to be the persecution. There's going to be those feelings where somebody's going to say, you're trusting in the Lord. What is he doing for you? What's your God doing now? Look what everything you're going through. Look what your family's going through. Where's God? We should do what we see now in Psalm 9, uh, in verse 9. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. There's mockery happening. There's all going. And what does David do? He goes with an earnest plea, an earnest cry. When the feeling of abandonment comes, don't abandon God. When you feel abandoned, don't abandon God. That's the time to lean in more. That's the time to go to him more. And what does he do? But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. God's care ever present since day one. And do you remind yourself of that? Do you remind yourself from conception, even before that, God knew God has a plan. Jesus, God veiled in the flesh, comes and nurses on Mary's breast as human. And in that moment, from the very beginning, God has his plan. And we have to look to that, because in, in the moment where it could be so easy to get lost in that circumstance of that abandonment, and this is the heightens of the height, if we think about the crucifixion of our king, what does the psalmist prophetically do? Go back to the reminder. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. The application for us there, Psalm 139 says this in a beautiful way. 139 verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Write that on your heart, saints. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they all were written. The days fashioned for me, when as yet... There were none of them. When we can have those moments, that suffering, that despair, that feeling forsaken, do you go back to remember from the beginning, God, you know. I think we forget sometimes life can surprise us. God's not surprised. When we might be surprised by life, God's not surprised. And we see what we see in verse 11 then. Be not far from me. Because because of verse 9, because of verse 10, 11 can be said, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. And in this, he realizes, David goes back, there's only one deliverer, there's only one help in crisis, God. For there is none to help. But he says, be not far from me, trouble's near. God can be the only help. And in your moments of despair, something you've got to check with yourself, is it God first? I've said before, our default needs to be prayer. Crisis, default, prayer. Is God first? Because society has answers, but do we go to the biblical answers? And we need to be praying, saints, for the return to God in our lives. 
Because we can think about when we hear that phrase, you know, let's pray for people to return to God, we think, oh, they must be so wayward and fallen and lost. No, let's pray that we return to God, us, everyone in this room, as our default, as our having him on the throne as king, and pray for that anchor in all of our hearts on the goodness of God. Because when we remember that, we know trouble's near. There's none that can help but you. So God, don't be far from me. I want to rest in your presence. The reality of the events unfold. Now again, when we think of this in the context of David, there's no set reference to it. It's truly that prophetical power of David as prophet pointing to Jesus Messiah. We then go on in verse 12. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Now that's east of the Jordan. It's rich, rich pasture land, big fat cattle there. If you go to Amos 4, you can see where that area is referenced. And it's the Israelites being called out, the women particularly, for worrying all about the life of luxury. But in this case, what he's pointing to is the Jews wanting Jesus dead. Because we see in verse 13, they gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. It's the desire of death and destruction of him. It's the chance that would be heard, crucify him, crucify him, put him there. We're moving to that just full-out assault. If you think of the flow from the verses we've started at tonight, there's the disgrace and reproach. We saw the mockery. We see them taunting him. We see the reality of what's going on. We see his appeal to God the Father. We see him entreating what God has done and who he is. And now the assault begins. The assault on the king. And in this text, David, is, is the psalmist is feeling that. And in society, I think many people today have that feeling of everyone's out to get me. They're all going to destroy me. I'm finished. It's this feeling that we have. And we call it anxiety. We call it depression. We call it these things. But it's this sense everyone's there to get. And with that sense, I challenge you, remember, Jesus took it all. Jesus took it all. Verse 14, the most powerful prophetic picture of our Savior's crucifixion begins. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Now, as we look at this, I think it's interesting you can see different medical doctors have taken what's seen here. And I should put our doctors that we have here on the spot right now. But you can look at the words that we see in these verses and truly see the medical tie. I'm poured out like water. Someone bleeding out. Our Savior's blood, every drop bleeding out for us. All my bones are out of joint. My, all my bones are out of joint. Just stopping there, one physician writes in crucifixion, One's full weight pulls down their nailed wrists and both their shoulders and elbows dislocate. And in the position that they're in, the victim's arm is then stretched to a minimum of six inches longer than their original length. And when we think about this, what you have to realize in the crucifixion, it's going here. And the nerve that's right here, I can't remember the name of that nerve, read it. Say it again. There we go, what they said. 
in that nerve. And what happens is, as that breath to try to go up, agonizing pain right there, then the nail that's down there, agonizing pain when you're trying to release this pain. So it's just a continual switch and going from one agonizing pain to the next with each breath trying to release it. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Some will say, oh, it's just it's a metaphor. It's not you know, real. No, let's be real. This is Jesus' crucifixion. And for someone who is Jewish, walk them through this. Guide them through this that they may come to know Yeshua truly is Messiah. Now, one doctor writes of this, the difficulty surrounding exhalation, and this is about what happens to the heart at crucifixion, leads to a slow form of suffocation. Carbon dioxide builds up in the blood, resulting in a high level of carbonic acid in the blood. The body responds instinctively, triggering the desire to breathe. At the same time, the heart beats faster to circulate available oxygen. The decreased oxygen, due to the difficulty in exhaling, causes damage to the tissues and the capillaries begin leaking watery fluid from the blood into the tissues. This results in a buildup of fluid around the heart, pericardial effusion, and lungs, pleural effusion. The collapsing lungs, failing heart, dehydration, and the inability to get sufficient oxygen to the tissues essentially suffocate the victim. The decreased oxygen also damages the heart itself, myocardial infarction, which leads to cardiac arrest. In severe cases of cardiac arrest, the heart can even burst, a process known as cardiac rupture. Jesus, most likely, this physician feels died of a heart attack. So we see, looking at this moment, my heart is like wax. It has melted within me. Those words, prophetically speaking, of our Savior on the cross, medically, there's a lot going on underneath that for our salvation, that we can be one with him. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. Thirst, thirst. Medical science tells us with great blood loss, one's thirst increases greatly. Drinking water increases blood volume. So we see that there. You have brought me to the dust of death. Death is near. Death is imminent. Death almost there. Clearly, when we think about the gospel accounts we walked through, this is fulfilled. We know this prophecy is fulfilled. You can, I remember a teacher growing up used to say, you can take it to the bank. This you can take to the bank is fulfilled. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we go throughout. We know this is fulfilled. Then we get to verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. Dogs is a common name for Gentiles. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. This is all united against King Jesus. This is the crowd that was going with the crucify, crucify, crucify. And then we get the second half of verse 16. And I, before reading it, remind you, saints... This is a thousand years beforehand and before crucifixion is even a thing. They pierced my hands and my feet. David the prophet. They pierced my hands and my feet. And that's again what we were talking, that agonizing pain to pain. 
I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Rather than me speak, let the word of God speak. Turn to John 19, thinking of what we just read in 17 and 18. And then when we look at John 19, verse 34. The best commentary, and I know we've heard this, and Pastor David has said this many times as well, the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. So we see what we just read there, and now we look at John 19, and if we think about the first of those, those two verses, start in John 19, 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. Remember the point of that whole, this whole gospel, John, that we're working through. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And then when we think of the second verse that we saw with his garments, stay in John 19, look at verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said there among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says what we're reading tonight. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lot. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. And that's a therefore I love. Therefore, the soldiers did these things, because guess what? Every promise in this word will be fulfilled. We see the ones that have been fulfilled, and there are promises yet to be fulfilled. All will come to pass. And when we think about that, therefore, that the scripture might be fulfilled, Think of 1 Thessalonians 4. Think of the blessed hope we have of the rapture. I talked about that at prayer. That's coming. That will be fulfilled. Then we go on now to verse 19. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me, O my strength. Hasten to help me. So we see now this but you. Each time we see a but within this psalm, there's something changing. Because the beginning, that first but that we get in the beginning, he's gone through the pain that's taking place and he goes through remembering who they were and God's faithfulness to his forefathers, but then says, but this is my condition and state right now. And now this second but after he's gone through this, or third actually, we see, but you, O Lord, and remember when we looked early on in the Psalms, that O, which carries much emotion, capital L-O-R-D, covenant personal name, do not be far from me. Oh, my strength, hasten to help me. The anchor and return to God is what we see take place in verse 19. And for the psalmist writing this, it reminds David knew he could go through anything as long as he knew God's presence was with him. Think of what we saw after the battle when most would be relishing in the victory. Ha ha, we've won. Look how good we are. His exceeding joy, what did we see it came from? Being in the presence of God. And that's what he calls to here. Because his intimacy with God has been proven. For our Savior, it's the ultimate intimacy. God the Father and God the Son. That is the ultimate intimacy 
with God the Father. And in that, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. He takes the shift, moving in some ways as we're going to see towards victory. Deliver me from the sword, verse 20. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. What's being faced here is the devil, death, torture, the most. And it's in this moment saying, save me from all of that. And the deliverance is pointed towards one, God. And Jesus, God the Son, takes the wrath, takes the curse, takes all sin, as we saw in John. Behold the Lamb of God, not who takes away the sins of the world, who takes away the sin, all past, present, future, amassed on him, that we can have salvation, that we can be new creations, that we can be one with him. And the end of verse 21, we see, you have answered me. Because in this deliverance, it's seeming it's going, it's, it's going to come there. The power of his presence knows the security. It's already there. We, we shared of the joyful testimony tonight in prayer of our sister Betty and the bone marrow transplant going well. But I still remember the beginning of the journey. And I pray if I ever face something like that, it's the same thing where it's, I'm already healed. Jesus is my savior. That's what that's speaking to there, where whatever suffering, whatever despair, whatever trial, whatever hardship comes before you, there's that piece of knowing eternity. That is forever. How long is eternity? Forever. How long is forever? Forever. Forever, forever, ever, and ever, and ever, and ever. It just keeps going. And we can't lose sight of that. We can't lose that. Psalm 22, messianic, it's, it's, it's also seen as that lament psalm. And in that lament psalm that's prophetically talking about our Savior, saints, don't forget, God put it all on Christ on the cross. All of it. All of it's there. It is finished. Basta così. Done. All from our King. All from our King. Now, society, culture today we think about it, is lamenting. I see our world lamenting. There's pain, there's despair, there's sadness, and there's a loss of hope. We have a hopeless suffering society, as I said at the start, that's forgetting the hopeful suffering servant savior. There is hope, but we forget that and people stay in their hopelessness. And It's an interesting worry our culture has gone because we have a phrase, and I used to hear it all the time in boarding school, and I would call my guys out, and I'd be like, you're what? Because they'd be like, well, my anxiety, my depression. I'm like, how about you replace that with my Jesus? Let's start with my Jesus. Not going to say those things aren't real. There's one of the kids, my advisees, whoo, was it a battle for him? But he came to the Bible study, he got saved, praise God. And he still, till this day, he'll reach out sometimes where he'll be like, things are really bad, but it's bad because I'm not focusing on my Jesus. It's like, yeah, we got to get back to that. Start with that and then follow suit with everything else because that's where the hope is found. 
If you're not putting Jesus at the front, whatever anybody tells you to do is just going to be a short fix. Because only the Holy Spirit can give you the supernatural resistance to go through anything. And what did we see in Hebrew 4s? He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Don't forget that, saints. King Jesus, the one that we just saw who took all of this, sympathizes with any weakness that we're going through. And therefore, we go boldly to his throne for grace and mercy in time of need. How's your prayer life? That's why prayer has got to be the default. He took it all. So what should we do? Crucify ourselves and lean on him. Luke 9.23, a verse youth group used to tease me because they're like, you always bring up that verse. One of you is here. You know, I always bring that up. But it's needed. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I would make a big daily. You remember, I mean, daily. But it's the fact we need to remember it's daily. Every day that we rise, we need to crucify ourselves, crucify what I want so that it's about what he wants. And in light of what we've just gone through with the suffering that he goes through, may we do that, saints. May Calvary Chapel, Chapel Hill make Christmas 2023 all about pointing to the fact he was born to die. He was born to die. May we be a people that are pointing to the journey of our lives that I'm born again to die daily. He was born to die I'm born again to die daily. And then throughout the day, remind ourselves, I'm going to go to sleep, I'm going to wake up tomorrow, still born again, still as new creation, but I got to die daily. I need to crucify myself so that I don't think about what I want, but it's about what you want, Lord. So your charge for this week, one, what do you need to nail to the cross? What must be crucified? What are you holding on to? What are you keeping? Is it a habit? Is it relationships? Is it not the right priorities? Whatever it is, what needs to be crucified? What do you need to look at what King Jesus did on the cross and realize, why am I holding on to that? I'm done. Lord, I surrender. I love that song that we do, and we, we bring it in the set. PD's got a whole rotation on uh, all of the songs, and we bring that one back. It's a powerful song. I surrender. We need to do that daily. What do you need to crucify? Two, check your labels. Eh? Check your labels. I'm not talking about your food labels, but you can check those too. If there are chemicals, don't eat it. But check your labels. Are you adopting what society says, or are you remembering that you're adopted through the Savior? Because it's very easy to take what society says and make it who we are. I'm this, I'm that, I have this thing, I have that thing, I have this, I have that. Or do you remember who, ad- who you're adopted by? Who you have adoption through? And three, will you say, He was born to die for you and me. Anytime somebody points to Christmas this season, could you take that as a challenge? 
I hope you and your family have a blessed Christmas. I hope yours, yours does too. Do you know Jesus was born to die for you and me? Okay, Merry Christmas. No, 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 really. Do you know Jesus was born to die for you and me? Don't just think about the cute little baby and the little kids with wings at the nativity and we're like, oh my goodness, it's so cute, Merry Christmas. What did he buy me this year? No, he was born to die for you and for me. And look at that death. Remember who our king is. And when you feel hopeless, remember you've got hope. If Jesus dwells within you, saints, you've got hope. Eternal hope. Don't believe the lies of culture. I think as we think about that and as you're sharing Born to Die, it should be like you've had five or six espresso shots because you just can get more and more excited. He was born to die. That means I have salvation. I have eternity with him. Woohoo! Let's go, baby. That's, let that fire be lit and share that others would come to know who he is. Truly, take advantage of this season and remind folks he's born to die. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your son. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the time that we get to remember the birth of our Savior. Born to die for us. Taking the mockery, taking the despising, taking the chastisement, taking everything, Lord, and putting it all on the cross. That we can call you Abba, Father, Daddy. We thank you for that gift. And Lord, I pray that you help each and every single one of us to prepare our hearts, minds, and souls to truly ponder that with joy this year. Lord, help us to not get lost in what we always do each year or the traditions of the season, but to get lost in you. And help us to be so yielded to the Holy Spirit that we would remember the gift of our Savior's birth, however you would lead us, individually and our families, Lord. And it wouldn't just be about what the world makes it, but it would be about the King of the world. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good night.